What if there was a love spell that you could do to magnetically attract the love you want? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, that's what you're going to hear about in this episode of the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast. My guest is going to talk about love and magic, tarot and love spells that leaves the door open for the highest good, which is really important because the last thing you want to do when you're doing a love spell is create karma. So stay tuned and listen to how you can attract the love you want. Hi, I'm Ronnie Ann Ryan, your go-to intuitive coach bringing real talk to the mystical realm on the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast. Feel like the universe or your spirit guides aren't delivering? Maybe you're confused by esoteric lingo or which healing method to try. Well, you're in the right place because who has time for confusion when you're trying to build a business, find love, heal and recover, or leave your partner or job? I'll turn that mumbo jumbo into clear, actionable steps that fit easily into your life. So buckle up, open that heart chakra, and let's cut through the cosmic fluff together, shall we? Good fortune favors the bold and those who aren't afraid to call it like they see it right here on the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast. On today's episode of the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast, I'm speaking with Venus. Venus is a born and raised witch who resides in Salem, Massachusetts today. She shifted to the worship of Aphrodite and the followings of her disciples around 15 years ago and has been going strong ever since. With 10 years experience in tarot and spell work, she encourages her clients to embody love, beauty, harmony, and to embrace their truest, most authentic selves. The ultimate goal for her within her faith is to wholeheartedly create a safe and nurturing space for all to explore their desires, overcome obstacles, and embark on transformative journeys of self-discovery. Welcome, Venus. Hi, how are you? I'm so excited to have you here. Today, we're going to talk about love and magic, which is actually the name of my podcast, right? Love and magic. These are two of my favorite things. Just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. I am a tarot reader and disciple of Aphrodite. Meaning, of course, I worship the goddess Aphrodite. I also am a spell maker. I create home goods like candles and soap. And a lot of people come to me looking for guidance, particularly in relationships and love. But also sometimes people just like to work with me so that they can have some clarity on life problems and questions. And I do so in a much more magical way using things like tarot and divination. Got it. Was your name originally Venus or did you change it? Yeah, so Venus is not my assigned name at birth. Um, <laughs> okay. It was more something that, not to say that everybody who worships Aphrodite takes on a pen name, especially a pen name of Venus. However, the more that I worked with her and the more I started to become a bit more professionally known, I found that I enjoyed kind of separating my personal private life outside of my practice from my practitional life. So Venus felt like a really great colloquial name to use. Yeah, well, Aphrodite, is that the Greek? Aphrodite is Greek? And Venus is Roman. It's the same goddess of love, right? Yes. Okay. When I started this podcast, I had a pen name too. I was Oceana Fortuna. Now, how did I come up with that craziness? I was sitting at the beach, of course, in the summer, thinking I need a name because I wasn't ready to come out of the spiritual closet. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really do the super woo woo. So I'm looking at the water going, how about Oceana? I'm like, all right, now I need a last name. So I'm thinking, what goes with Oceana? And I heard Fortuna. And I was like, oh my God, I love that. I had a lot of Roman lives, I think. 
<laughs> and there is a goddess called Fortuna, which I didn't realize that, but. Oh yeah, yeah. How did you decide to be devoted to Aphrodite, start working with her and then start offering services? Like what would, what did that transformation look like? The way it started was I was raised Wiccan, actually. My uh, oh. mother happened that way, which is a great pipeline I usually find. My mother originally was Roman Catholic. And then in 74, when she graduated high school, she ended up converting to Wicca. And then she had me. And for a lot of people that have experienced Wicca, whether it's through a parent or a mentor of some kind, usually what they find, because it's such a non-exclusive religion is that through the practice of Wicca, they end up kind of diverging into their own personal practice, whether uh, it's through joining covens or spiritual in any other way. And when I was 17, 18, Venus and Aphrodite ended up really appealing to me, mainly because, again, I was kind of a teenager at the time. And I think relationships and things in that regard tend to be very intoxicating, especially for teenage girls. Yes. And I, I certainly latched on to that. But then kind of as I got older and I kind of followed in my mother's footsteps because she also is a tarot reader. I found that having the uh, worship of Venus is not only something that becomes very comforting and relatable to a lot of people, especially when it comes to relationships, I find, but also really helped me out in terms of finding my own identity through spirituality, because I always kind of saw the goddess herself modeled in the image of human beings, which is why she has flaws and why she has things like jealousy, even though she's supposed to be the most beautiful creature to ever exist in this universe, she still suffered through things like that. And for those reasons, I always found her very relatable. And in mm. turn, it was easier for me to relate to other people for the same struggle. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. She had those kind of human qualities. So your mom must have been very progressive if back in 74, she decided to follow Wicca because that was, it was just after the hippie era, but not into the yuppie area. Yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. I guess, the, you know, the hippies had a spiritual side, but that still was probably very progressive for the time. Yeah, it certainly was, especially her family, my grandmother and grandpa, and her six sisters and one brother. They were very, very traditional Irish Catholic. My mother still, to this day, is kind of the black sheep of her family for those reasons. But I think it was just one of those things that she just felt a calling towards it. Sure. And I think that that happens a lot of people with spirituality in general. It ends up oh, being sure. something they kind of follow and they just feel like they have to. Yeah. Well, now that I hear that you're Irish, it doesn't surprise me nearly huh. as because yeah. of that whole Celtic tradition that's really deeply entrenched in, I think, in, even in modern day Irish living, mm -hmm. you know, it's still all very prevalent. And you still hear people talking about the Fae and the fairies and everything else when it comes to Ireland. And, and then there's all those ancient sites and stuff. So there's a yeah. lot going on there. Yeah. I feel like, um, especially just in European culture in general, so much mysticism and folklore is really wrapped up into the culture itself in places even like 
England and Ireland. It just is, again, very culturally relevant to talk about things like fairies and elves and things like that, as opposed to the US, where I think we're a bit more like regimented in terms of what's real and not real. There's benefits and negatives to everything. So yeah, I've come to this place of feeling like the unseen world is just as real as the seen world. So we don't have to go down that path today. Here you are, you're almost an adult, you're you've decided you're going to follow uh, Aphrodite. And then how did you decide to do this as your work and make this your life? So it's really interesting, actually. I went to school 2013. Oh, wow, we're coming up on 10 years now. (laughs) It was 2013 was when I went to college. And I originally went for theater and performance arts and speech therapy. And I did that. And it was enjoyable. But I started finding that maybe the more traditional route in terms of career, even something like acting, which already is such a non-traditional job, it just didn't suit me. But, you know, we all have to kind of, I guess, come down to reality, especially when we have to pay things like bills. I started working as a administrative assistant for a laboratory, which is so opposite to what I do now. I still was doing tarot. I always had done it just for friends, and I did it like here and there to kind of make some money. So while I was living this one life of working as a administrative assistant in a laboratory, I still kind of on the side was doing readings. And what ended up happening was, unfortunately, I ended up being let go. And it was still to this day kind of a confusing, convoluted thing as to why I was let go. But I remember I found myself in a place where I didn't really know where to go next. And I reached out to a friend of mine who works as a tarot reader in Salem, Massachusetts, and I said, I was just wondering if you guys are hiring at the moment. I found myself in a position where my life kind of went in a different road than I thought it was going to. Yeah. I remember she said to me, um, oh, yeah, no, definitely come in. You could like meet with people. And when I walked into this shop, and it was the first time I had ever been into this shop. Uh, the shop is called Enchanted in Salem. And the first thing I see when I walk into this shop is this giant statue of Aphrodite. Wow. And, yeah, I remember thinking to myself, like such a clear and poignant sign to see something yeah, like that. for sure. Oh, I was like, okay, I get it. (laughs) I ended up not uh, working at Enchanted. I ended up working at their sister shop, Stardust, where I still work today. And I just found that through doing that and actually doing it full time, which always kind of felt like something I could have never, ever done, is actually possible. It's always rough sailing at first, but you actually can pursue and do the things that you dream of doing if you're good at it. It really is. And you could always get better at something And sometimes it takes, I think, maybe unfortunate circumstances to kind of push you in the right direction to get where you're supposed to be. Yeah. So that's how it happened, which is still such a funny story because I feel like it was so fate entwined in such a unique way. No question about it. That is serious (laughs) synchronicity. Uh, To walk into that shop and see that big statue of Aphrodite, that was definitely hit you over the head message. And how cool that you didn't like flounder for the longest time. You just thought, hmm. Maybe I should check out this tarot reading thing and do that. I just love that when things fall into place. It's so amazing. Yeah. Now you're doing readings for people and you're already into Aphrodite and you change your name to Venus. And, and then you started getting into doing, you know, magic too. So tell me about what your magic is like and how you help your clients. 
when it comes to things like magic, especially, I think that so many people still have kind of the Hollywoodification of the idea of what magic is. And in witchcraft, in Wicca, in any type of spiritual practice that falls under that umbrella, magic really is just another form of prayer. I always call it prayers with actifiers. When we think of actifiers, we think of things like incense and crystals and stones and words. It is just prayers. And there's so much strength behind the intention of prayers. When I talk to people about spells and things like that, I let them know. I'm like, keep in mind that you could have the nicest souped up car that you've put tons and tons of work into in the world. But if you don't know how to drive, the car is useless. And vice versa. You could be the greatest driver in the world, but if your car is falling apart, uh, well, you're not going to get too far. So when I talk about spell work, I talk about how what we're using is has to be equal importance to the intention that we're putting into it. So many people ask about things like love spells. And a very popular spell I do, for example, it's called a love doll spell. It's a image of two people. And it's over the course of about a week, you put one of these dolls on one side of your home or your room, wherever you might be, and one doll on the other side of the room. And over the course of a week, every day you move the dolls a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And then on the last day, you put them together and you wrap it together and put it in an envelope and seal the envelope. And that is supposed to be bringing a person towards you. Again, there is this actual physical thing that's going into it every day, but it is this reminder daily of somebody is coming to me and I'm bringing them closer to me. So it also puts in this power into the self of I'm able to bring someone rather than I really hope up there in the universe, someone can send somebody my way. It's like you have power over it. So that ends up aiding quite a bit, I find, in people's uh, confidence in themselves as well to bring partners into their life. So much of it is just kind of very crafty prayer is how I like to tell it to people. I love that idea. I mean, but you're not doing it for a specific person. You're doing it for whoever the right person is for them at the time. Right. I will not work in anything that doesn't involve autonomy and consent of another person. And I kind of let people know that I'm like, when it comes to love spells, if there isn't autonomy or consent involved, it's no longer a love spell. And I don't do that. <laughs> right. It would be manipulation of some form. I love the idea of having these two dolls representation of you and a partner and moving them closer every week. That is so so obviously magical, but the physicality of actually having these two dolls and moving them closer is very powerful energy. Yeah, absolutely. I've never heard of that before. So to me, that's like super creative and really clever. I love that idea. And there's no harm, no foul, because you're just looking for your match. You're just yeah. calling in. And that is the whole idea of attraction. That is the law of attraction. That's another way of looking at it, whatever. You are manifesting by bringing that partner closer to you. Oh my gosh, I love that. People who were my clients when I was a love coach, I would have them make a love altar. And I used it from a feng shui perspective. So you would put pairs of things. Like a lot of times people have candlesticks, but they separate them with a bowl in the middle or something. You mm -hmm. know, and I'm like, no, no, no. You want to put them next to each other. 
and write a letter to your future mate or lover, how, you know, whatever it is you're looking for. You can show like pictures of couples, but I think it's best to not have their faces. Silhouettes are really good in that respect because you're not getting attached to the look of something or someone because you don't know how it's going to get delivered, right? You know, but you just want it to be the right match for you. I love that idea that I, I'm really taken with that. There's probably other applications for that as well. That's really very cool. How successful is that? Do you hear back from people? I have had people reach out to me before and mainly with readings. And I have had people give me feedback in terms of the things I've said or the advice I've given them has really worked for them. And they really oh, agree. Good. Um, when it comes to my spells, my assumption is if I don't hear anything back, I'd like to assume it's because they're so swept up in this new relationship <laughs> that they just simply don't have the time for me. Beautiful. I certainly I have heard anything bad. So yes, awesome. Well, I mean, as a dating coach, people would ask me all the time, you know, what's your success rate? And what I would tell them is the truth, which is I can't make anyone do anything. So my success rate is completely based on the willingness of my clients to do the work. Mm -hmm. The same thing would be for that ritual that you created with the two dolls. If, do they do it? Do they do it every day? Do they really put themselves into it? Do they feel it? Do they imagine it? Do they dream about it? Are they putting energy into it and all those other things? So, you know, we can't make anyone do anything. We can tell them what to do and how to do it, but then the rest is up to them. And that's what you were alluding to at the beginning about the car and the driver and that kind of thing. Just a quick pause before sharing more mystical moments. Are you at a crossroads and unsure which path to take? Or in the midst of a life crisis or difficult life changes? Stop the guesswork and endless what ifs. I've been there. Know what I did? I asked the universe for a sign and it worked. Now I'm sharing my too simple to be true method with you. In my free audio program, How to Ask the Universe for a Sign, you'll learn the simple steps to receive a clear yes-no answer from the universe within just 24 hours. No more sleepless nights, just clear answers. Visit intuitiveedge.biz sign to claim your free audio program and start your journey to certainty today. So how did you come to this wisdom about relationships? You know, like I came by it the super hard way, which was I was single until I was 40. And I had boyfriends in high school and I had another boyfriend in college. And actually, they both asked me to marry them. And I said no to both of them, not dreaming that I'd have an 18 year hiatus, which <laughs> was the biggest death valley ever. But then I got really serious at 40 and I dated 30 men in 15 months to find the man that I've been married to now for quite a while. I came by a lot of my information the hard way in terms of understanding men because I didn't date a lot when I was younger. I just went out with who asked me, you know, that's what we did when we were young. Mm -hmm. that's not what's what works best today. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're young, you have many more options because most people are single. But when you get older, then you have to be a little more intentional about what you're doing. So, But how did you come to your wisdom of giving such good relationship advice? Certainly wasn't through example. <laughs> Just because... <laughs> I adore my parents. I really was never exposed to romantic love as a child, ever, other than kind of how children typically are exposed to romantic love, which is through movies and Disney, movies. things like that. But I never really experienced it in front of my face, especially with like my parents just growing up have had more misses than hits that's for sure i've had wonderfully passionate relationships with people that are 
filled with feelings in this new relationship energy. But after time, I think it is that sense of security starts to kind of go away. And I think that make all parties involved feel kind of like this isn't working for me anymore. And I can't really pin why it's not working. And then I look back and I'm like, how come I keep having these terrible relationships? How I ended up, I feel ultimately finding better relationships was I started working more and unpacking what type of love is it I'm looking for? Because I think when we think of things like love, it's very easy for us to kind of put it all into this ball of a feeling that you just know when you feel it and you can't really put it into words, but you just know. And I refuse to accept not knowing. And I was like, well, I have my familial love that I feel for my family. I have my platonic love I feel for my friends. I have my physical love that I feel for certain celebrities when I see them or certain people at bars. I have this idea of romantic love. And I'm like, of all those different loves I have, what is it I want in a partner? Because I, I want romantic love, but I don't know if I just want that in a partner either. Maybe I want to put in some of that platonic love and maybe I want to put in some of that familial love. And I found when it was easier for me to kind of break down the different aspects of love, it became a little easier for me to figure out, I guess, exactly what it was I wanted in a partner. And ultimately, it's how I met my spouse. It was when I was in the midst of, I think, having this discovery in terms of like, wait a minute, I could have so many different types of soulmates and maybe there isn't just one soulmate my lifetime. Yeah. Maybe there's tons. And it happened to be when I met them. And I feel with my husband, I, I feel that there's this familial connection where he feels like a family member to me, but he feels like a romantic partner. And he feels like at times that stranger at the bar and that attraction. When I was able to kind of, like I said, distinguish the different types of things, it became a lot easier for me to understand that I think that this is what makes a relationship with a person work, not just a soon to be husband, that type of thing. That is fascinating to me because I have never heard it explained in that way. I always had people make a list of what you want. Well, I want somebody who I can trust and somebody who's fun, somebody who's smart and somebody whose finances are in order and, you know, this kind of somebody who wants to travel. But I never heard it explained that way about all the different aspects of love there are. That's fascinating. And I think that was a great way for you to just kind of look at all the aspects mm -hmm. of what love is about and what you like about it. That was really a stroke of genius. When I was much younger, I read a book which was called Ethical Slut. And it's about, <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Fabulous title. Fabulous title. <laughs> um, uh, talks a lot about ideas of um, specifically talking about things like open relationships and polyamory, which when I was really young was very interesting to me. So I read that, but the preface of the beginning of the book, I honestly encourage all people, monogamous or otherwise, to absolutely give it a read because it breaks down different types of love. And within the different types of love, it talks about finding safety and finding identity. And I always really took it to heart, some of those things, because it once again, kind of ends up teaching you how to kind of release this aspect of control 
from a relationship. And I feel like when you start releasing this aspect of, I want this person to be this, or I want them to be better, or I want to find someone who is exactly this and nothing else is good enough. It was easier for me to see kind of the different levels of control that I was seeking in my life, not just in relationships, but it pulled over into that because so much of our life, I think, is so heavily determined by things like love. Even if we think it isn't, it absolutely is. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's really interesting. I really only work with people who are looking for monogamy because personally, I don't have any experience with anything else. I've never been exposed to it. I don't know. And none of my friends are in open relationships. For me, I have a very hard time imagining being able to handle my husband with somebody else. Like, "Mm, I don't know if I'm capable. I feel like there's so many tenements to open relationships and polyamory that I think people who are single especially should impress upon themselves because I think those feelings of allowing people to be themselves, allowing people to be their life, it takes this pressure off of yourself of I have to make sure that I am the most important or I am the most desirable and you end up actually being much more focused on just existing and living your life and it's it's wonderful the amount of pressure it takes off of you when you feel as though oh no I'm just simply here and living ethically (laughs) and it's crazy because we put so much pressure on ourselves especially when we're single and we're trying to get into relationships it breaking it down in such a way makes it so much easier well, you've certainly made me curious uh, because I think it would be good for me to know about just to be educated. You know, I don't know that I personally am ready for that kind of thing or want that, but understanding it probably be really helpful. I did have somebody come to me once who wanted to marry and have a child with this guy, but then they wanted to have an open relationship. But then she was mad because. He wouldn't tell her until that day when he was going to be with another woman. And she wanted to control how he was going to do that. And I'm like, what difference does it make if he's with another woman today or three days from now or whatever? He's with another woman. So I couldn't get there with her. (laughs) You know, so I felt bad. But I said, you know, I'm not going to be the right person for you because I don't know how to respond. And I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. For me, I was very confused. I'm like, "Mm, I'm definitely not going to be able to help. You know, it's crazy because I actually find that your response and your mindset is the ethical one to have. It is sound. It is you being, I don't see what the difference is because there isn't a difference. It's, um, you know, one, if you're in an open relationship, it means that you accept that this person is going to pursue other people. And it, it all comes down to ethics. You know, is this person going about it ethically? Are they respecting you? And, you know, especially when it comes to things like uh, polyamory and open relationships something i just tell everybody is you know people aren't good at relationships period (laughs) whether it's monogamous or otherwise (laughs) very true and all of it requires just varying levels of communication and that's what it comes down to and there isn't a secret of how to do it right because the there is no secret it is just you need to say and not let it linger that's the best way to go about it right yeah you you really have to be authentic to make that work yeah yeah for sure you should try your best to live your life as authentic as possible (laughs) so well that's interesting let's talk about this for a minute are you 30 
I am 28. 28. Okay. I'm closer to your mother than you. So (laughs) we have a definite generation difference for sure. Mm -hmm. How do you see things in your age bracket for dating and love and romance? And have you noticed a difference from people of your mother's generation? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. And I would say yes and no. I think that in my generation, specifically millennials, I always kind of saw us as the um, beta testing generation. <laughs> because, oh. yeah, we have conscious memories of there not being internet and there not being smartphones. And like we have conscious memories of existing in the world that our parents existed in, that the generation before existed in. I think because of that, a lot of people in my generation, we have this ability where we recognize and benefit from this. But also, I think we still have this feeling of nostalgia that we wish we could kind of exist in maybe a simpler time before it became so uh, the idea of bettering yourself and fixing yourself and making your life better was so in our faces. (laughs) So I think that we have become a generation in which we are much more equipped for utilizing the resources that we have, especially in things like dating apps. And a lot of us take full advantage of it. And that's why so many people in my age bracket, they love to sell all their belongings and go live in a bus and just travel around the country selling art and stuff. Uh, Because I think that there is this deep sense of wanting to return to this life that isn't theirs almost. So a simpler thing like that's simpler because you don't own stuff. So you're freer and you can just go wherever you want, whenever you want, and you're not tied down. Yeah. I definitely think something like that, because I have friends that are uh, younger than me, and they're in the more Gen Z bracket where their entire life has always been, the internet's always been there, and they've always been aware of it. And, you know, that's just normal for them. But again, I feel like we have this interesting thing where we're kind of caught in the in-between where we're like embracing technology and also rejecting it at the same time. I think that's why so many of us, we just want to return to this life that we didn't even really have. (laughs) That's so funny. You know, I look up the word vagabond just to make sure. And, you know, vagabond is somebody who wanders from place to place without a home or job. Mm -hmm. Except my experience of millennials and people who want to do this are that they're like, oh, but I can work from anywhere. So they're totally still connected to their technology in a big way. And then they're constantly showing the social proof of their fabulous vagabond life. So it's really interesting because they're still connected to the technology. They're just not connected to things. And the idea of being settled or staying still maybe you just want to have that freedom for a while i think that'd be a hard thing to do long term but i don't know maybe you get used to it depends on who you yeah. are you know what makes it so interesting is they are like oh we're showing off our off the grid lifestyle and like this and that but you know we're seeing it through a phone through a video right it's crazy there's something i want to say it's called the third life or the third party something like that and a big reason why so many people in my generation specifically are so depressed is because because this thing called the third life, where it's we have one life being work, one life being privacy, and the third life being community time, which, you know, prior to the influx of social media was spent in places like libraries and community centers, and it was social interaction. But now that third life has been replaced with 
our phone with technology. Yeah. And what we're seeing is that there's this presentation of life is wonderful, but it's not actually there because there is no actual connecting that's taking place here. Yeah. And that's why we're all, you know, the depressed millennial thing has become kind of a joke, but it is a reality. So many people yeah. in my age bracket and younger are so depressed and it's because they just exist on a screen most of the time. Wow. That's yeah. deep. All right. So here we are. Is there anything left that you didn't say about love, about yourself, about any advice about love that you want to share with the listeners today? Because I think you've brought in some really different perspectives and it's very refreshing. So is there anything else you want to say? Absolutely. I think, you know, and this is a big part of myself as a tarot reader. A lot of the times people will come to me with questions and they come to seek me out because maybe in their regards, they kind of see me as maybe I have the answers or I have this ability that I can tell into the future and I could do that. And a really big part of my readings is I let my client pick their cards. And I tell them that I just translate. Yeah. They are the people that are telling me. I'm just putting it into words they could better understand. Anytime somebody, would, if they want to or work with me, I always try to let them know that it's all of this and everything you want to get out of it isn't because I'm so great and I'm so special. It's because you are taking the time to be vulnerable with me. And I think that that's so uncomparably important to understand is that this level of vulnerability going into something is so powerful. And that's kind of where that magic comes from. Other than that, I guess I just wanted to let to anybody in the world know who's listening, I'm going to be hosting these three classes through my place of work at Stardust. And they also have the ability to join through Zoom. So we're very excited for this. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be for February because, of course, uh, February is Valentine's. Yeah. Month, month of love. It's three Fridays in February where it's going to be a guided class on self-love being the first. The second is about bringing love into our life. And the third being about how to maintain the love in our life uh, uh, for couples and things like fabulous. that. Oh, yeah. So now we're just like, let's go get it out there into the world. Going to be fantastic. Well, we can put stuff in the show notes. Fabulous. Well, this has been amazing. I've really enjoyed talking to you. We went to all kinds of fun places, <laughs> which I appreciate. And thank you so much for being with us today, Venus. It was a pleasure and a joy. Of course. Thank you so much. I've had a great time. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me in this sacred space on your journey to clarity and spiritual growth. If you're at a crossroad in the middle of a life crisis or challenge, try intuitive coaching or book an intuitive or past life reading at intuitiveedge.biz. Enjoyed our time together? Please rate, review, and share this podcast with a friend to spread the magic. Until next time, this is Ronnie and Ryan wishing you love and magic.